0: Absolutely fantastic to be with you this morning on such a glorious, glorious morning outside, and uh, we can rejoice in all that God has done, all that God has given, all that God is doing, and um, so much, uh, and so much that he's already done, and, and that we can hold right on to those realities. We are in the book of Ephesians. We're in the first chapter. Uh, this this is a, such a glorious chapter, loaded right up with glorious, magnificent doctrines uh, that that can fortify us. Things that we need to build our lives upon. And um, sometimes I will say, I will I've heard people say over the years, "Well, let's just get practical." Well, listen, uh, if you get practical with the wrong understanding, and you get practical with uh, with a bad foundation. Uh, it, it can lead to disastrous results in the end. We have to make sure that our foundation is is firm. And Paul establishes here in this first chapter of Ephesians in an absolutely incredible bedrock of foundation that we build our lives upon. And uh, there are some things that are very challenging. I, I will tell you that... Uh, uh, I personally believe that there are some doctrinal concepts that will that must necessarily be held in tension between two views, uh, two things that may seem to conflict with each other at times. Uh, there are times when we simply need to surrender to God's truth and say, "This is what God's word says, and I I need to believe it, even though I don't understand it." Uh, and even though it goes against what I might want in my human flesh, nonetheless, this is what the Word of God says. And so therefore, I surrender myself to it. and and uh, there is some of that in this passage in some rather uh, stout themes, things like the words predestination. Uh, things like the concept of God choosing people, uh, another word that might get used is the word election. Uh, those those phrases, those terms, those words do come out here, uh, and we have to, uh, in fact, consider them and what do they mean to us. Now, there, there are largely two theological camps that uh, that stack themselves up sometimes often against each other. One theological camp is called the Calvinists and the other theological camp is called the Arminians. Uh, today, I, I I want to uh, try to give you a little bit of insight that comes from those camps, the tensions that are there, uh, and, and tell you some of the struggles that are there without getting us lost. I, I don't want to get you lost. However, I do want to tell you that I believe if we're going to grow in Christ and grow into maturity in Christ, we need to come to the place of beginning to understand some of these themes, some of this theology, to uh, uh, to understand uh, their import and their impact to us uh, in in our lives. Let me put the text of the Scripture back up. we're gonna we'll pick up at verse three again, uh, and I'm coming back at this because I I believe it is stuff that we really need to take some time uh, and understand. and yet I, I also don't intend to make this a deep 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 theological discussion, but I do want for us to understand uh, the the foundational uh, glorious, magnificent themes that we do see here in this book Ephesians chapter. One Verse three, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We just stop right there. I mean, to praise God this morning, I can praise God. I can look out the window and I can see, I can see the sunshine. I can see the clouds. I can see the leaves on the trees. There is so much for which I can praise God. Now I will tell you, uh, I went to bed last night with, with, with an incredible heaviness of heart over, over some circumstances, over some situations, and nonetheless, even though there are uh, there are absolutely incredible, uh, incredibly deep, heavy things that that uh, that one would bear in in my position, uh, nonetheless, there is so much for which we can praise God and praise God for health. If you have health, praise God for. Th- coffee. Praise God for a hot shower. Praise God for breath. Praise God for your dogs if you have dogs. Praise God for your spouse if you have a spouse. Praise God for your aloneness if you have aloneness. Praise God for, uh, and just fill in the blanks, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So Praise God, think of all of his blessings, and rejoice in those things. Verse 4, it picks up. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. We'll stop right there. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Here's that word choice. Some people get all tripped up over this word choice. and I can understand to a certain measure how people get tripped up over this word, that God would choose some and not others. I mean, what what type of a God is this anyway? Well, he is the sovereign God. He's the God who made all things. He's the God that gives many of, many of us exactly what we do not deserve. He gives us relationship with himself. He gives us uh, the, the, the prerogative of when this earthly life ceases, to live in his glorious uh, presence forever. Uh, we do not deserve that. We are sinful people. Uh, and and so the fact that he gives that to us is an absolutely uh, astounding reality. And and yet, and we're going to get into some of this this morning, and, and I'm going to try to not lose you or lose myself even in these things. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. Now, some would... Focus on the words in him, okay? In him, we were placed in him before even the world was created. We were placed in him. Uh, God God planned in advance that we would be in him, and he chose us to be in him. That is the force at which some people will come at this passage. Yesterday, we we, we looked at the uh, to be aspect here in this verse over where it says to be holy. He chose us for the purpose of being holy and being blameless in his sight, that we would grow up into maturity and grow up into holiness and blamelessness. Can I suggest to you that I think both are true? That uh, there is that choosing aspect of what God did yesterday, and, and you can go back and look at this yourself, uh, and see what it has to say um, in Romans chapter 9. We looked at Romans chapter 9 and uh, what it had to say on this theme as well. And there are other passages, other places, but there is in the Bible this aspect of, of God electing, God choosing, God predetermining, God for ordaining now, what some people will do with a passage like this is well, because God knew in advance that that's really what it means. God could see into the future, but what what would some would do by saying, well, just because God knew, they limit His power and that God isn't powerful enough to draw people unto Himself uh, in a way that is irresistible. Now, I want you to know that that these themes do create all kinds of. Um, all kinds of tensions. Uh, it, it can create all kinds of somersaults in our minds, friends. We we cannot shy back from the scriptures and what it says. Now there there are a couple different approaches to our study. I mean, one approach to our study is is what is called uh, uh, biblical theology, understanding the narrative of the Bible from from stem to stern, from Genesis to Revelation, and what is the theme. That comes through the, the, the biblical narrative that we would understand from creation fall, uh, all the way on through into um, into the consummation at the very end of that biblical theology, uh, and taking what does this passage say and uh, as as uh, as the truth. Then there's also. Another approach at theology called systematic theology, and what systematic theology does is it takes it takes every place the Bible speaks on a topic and compares all of those places in all the various references. And friends, I believe that in that approach we get the most complete, most comprehensive, uh, most comprehensive uh, understanding uh, of. Uh, of the various themes that we would consider, the various themes that we would look at, because you're understanding all that the Bible has to say on the topic. And I believe that is the safest, surest thing to do. And the other thing we have to be careful we don't do is is take a verse out of its context. We need to look at the surrounding verses to see what they have to say uh, and how they relate. It's very dangerous to take a verse out of context and not understand uh, what is around it. Here, Paul shares so very much uh, on this theme throughout this chapter, and we're going to continue working our way down through it. Uh, and I will put up for us here in just a moment uh, some some other uh, a, a few a slide or two to help us think. Verse four. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. God will always accomplish his pleasure. God will always accomplish his will. To say that God cannot accomplish his will is is the same as saying God is not omnipotent. God is not all-powerful that God cannot accomplish his will. So he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now, now I do see some, some comments here. I will come back over to those comments. I just want you to be aware that I do see comments here, uh, and and we'll come back and, and seek to try to address those, um, and then you get down into verse 7, uh, the redemption, and I'll pick up on, on some of those great themes. Uh, verse 9 talks about he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ uh, to be put in effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring all things uh. In heaven and on earth, together, under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in the conformity with the purpose of his will. Verse 11 really hits it. Having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will as i said yesterday i think it is critically important that we uh, that we take the words and let them say what they say on their own that we don't we don't try to hold back uh, um, or or to change them and that's what oftentimes people will do in a passage like this because it's uncomfortable to us uh, we will uh, we will say, well, what it really means is, well, there's the danger in that is then when you get over into other passages that deal with, with themes like human sexuality, we will tell the people who say, well, you have to take it for what it says, for instance, in Romans 1. Uh, and yet here, we don't play by the same rule. We need to play by the same rule right here. And and not seek to change what what the scripture has to say. We need to keep it, um, we, we need to stay consistent. Now, again, you're looking at this idea. Uh, in him we were chosen. Uh, and then down at verse 13, we see, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked with uh, marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. And that verse concludes and says, to the praise of his glory. Now, there's so many other themes I want to get to here in this passage. Uh, And so, uh, pray for my father, Rudy, because I was talking to him about assurance of salvation. He believes he can lose his salvation uh if you have not picked up on who this is yet friends uh in in the comments uh, over uh, that is our dear sister Claire, who is leaving that uh, leaving the comment there. now, let me say this there there can be on either the Arminian camp or the Calvinistic camp. There can be uh, incredible strengths, but there are also incredible uh, incredible dangers. Uh, and, and I'm going to try to unfold this the best I can. I, I am not John MacArthur. I am not uh, John Piper. I am not D.A. Carson. I am not uh, some of those people who would... Would teach these things, and if you want to delve more deeply into these, I I would encourage you to go into YouTube and uh, look up John MacArthur on election. Uh, R. C. Sproul would be another one uh, to to see what they say. There's a guy by the name of Mike Winger, uh, and uh, uh, if you look him up on election, Arminianism, Calvinism, I mean, he concludes differently than I do. He does not land the same place that I do. In fact, even last night, our elders were discussing some of these things. Uh, I believe if you believe that you are elect in Christ, then that, that can bring a certain comfort. And yet, uh, there is an aspect, and we're going to look at something called TULIP here in a minute T U L I P, that also gives an incredible challenge that, that we are called to persevere in our faith. Uh, I, I believe that if one is truly saved, truly regenerate, uh, truly born of the Spirit, then there are going to be indicators. There, For instance, there's going to be an indicator that there is some hunger after spiritual truth. Uh, there is going to be an inward witness uh, of what we would call the inward witness of the Holy Spirit that comes from the book of uh Romans chapter eight verse sixteen, the witness bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Um, I believe that there are things like that. Also, the fruit of our lives—if if there is not some aspect of a hunger after God, if there is not some fruitfulness, if there is not some aspect of turning away from sinfulness—then, then I certainly think that that we can ask questions about: Hmm, am I really truly saved? And. and uh, I think it is good to wrestle with that, not doubt, but to wrestle. Now I, I don't doubt for a moment in my instance, I do not doubt my salvation. Now I am still sinful. Uh, I still, uh, at times uh, go against the, the ways, the teachings, the thoughts, the desires, the will of God. And then some of the fact that I can still do that will we'll raise a question that we will look at here in, in just a moment. Um, but I do not doubt for a moment my salvation. Someone who is wrestling with their salvation, I would say, then make sure. Now, I don't believe you get saved over and over and over again. I believe if you're saved, then you're saved, and you will stay saved, uh, and that will show up uh, in the end. Now, some would teach you fall into it and you fall out of it, all because of your own choices. Uh, And uh, Paul himself who is writing here in Ephesians the the uh, this first chapter in Ephesians uh, also gives a, a great challenge over in the book of 2 Corinthians and let me go to that passage I have shared this before and I want us to see the challenge that, that the apostle Paul gives in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 He says this in verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. I would tell you today to test yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? What's the test? The test of uh, do you acknowledge Jesus? And I'm not talking about just talking about God. I'm talking about do you acknowledge Jesus as Savior? God is my Savior. How about Jesus is your Savior? Uh, Can you say those words? Can you say that Jesus Christ is, in fact, Lord? Um, Is there uh, some inward evidences? Paul, I've already talked about the inward evidences. Is there some inward evidence that you are a child of God? If those things are not there, then I would tell you, you come calling out to Christ. Ask Christ to give you the internal witness of the Spirit. He will uh ask christ to to uh to convince you uh, one of the things that sometimes those of us who believe in election can fall into is is uh, uh, how do I want to clarify this just uh, uncaring sinfulness because we believe in our salvation we, we also uh, can become sloppy in how we live our lives and yet the very things that paul said to us back in ephesians chapter 1 tells us that we cannot remain sloppy in how we live our lives because it told us in verse 4 he called us to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now some of you're saying, "Wait, this sounds just like yesterday. Are you are you not confused? Didn't you cover this yesterday?" I'm just trying to go a little bit deeper in this for us to understand just just what is being said now let me put up for you um i think i can do this a slide and this this particular slide uh is one that, that kind of outlines something that it, it it didn't used to be in this order called tulip it, it was in a different order some would point back to uh, Saint Augustus, and say that you know he came up with this. Others would say it was John Calvin. Actually, this was an unfolding, and this this acrostic in this way did not come out until the sixteen uh, later sixteen hundreds. And I take that back until the nineteen hundreds. Uh, even though some of the concepts here came out in the uh, in sixteen hundreds with with John Calvin. Um, John Calvin was. Let me take that back. The 1500s with John Calvin. Uh, Calvinism uh, basically says this. Calvinism basically saying God chose you. God made the choice. God elected you. Uh, John Calvin lived from from 1509 to uh, 1564. Uh, He, Luther, others were, were looking at the scriptures and coming against what the what the Catholic church was saying at that point in time. But then later on in 1560 to 1609, there was a guy by the name of Jacobus Arminius, uh, who had an absolute uh, opposite theology, opposite theory that you chose God. So Calvin would say, God chose you. Uh, Arminian Arminius would say, no, you chose God. And, The fact is there are aspects of both of these things that you can see in the scriptures. Uh, I mean, we have to make a choice. that Whosoever believes, we we still have the necessity of belief. Calvin and those who would think like him had an answer for that that would say God even gave us the ability to believe. So uh, those things come into play. So T, uh, going back to the tulip, is this idea of, total depravity, and by total depravity, what is meant that man is helpless to accomplish his salvation? I mean, there is nothing that man can do to accomplish his salvation. Uh, God helps the man to believe. John 6.44 says no one can come to God uh, unless the the Father draw him. That's in John 6.44, and there are other passages. There's a whole litany of passages. that I, I'm not going to get into this morning. Total depravity, it's the idea that, that man is utterly lost. Uh, he cannot work his way to God. He cannot be good enough to get to God. He cannot give his way to God. He cannot go to church enough to get to God in terms of salvation. Salvation is something that is generated by God. That, that is the thought uh, on total depravity. Um, total depravity. Uh, Because of the fall, man is unable of himself to savingly believe the gospel. The sinner is dead, blind, and deaf to the things of God. His heart is deceitful and desperately corrupt. His will is not free. It is in bondage to his evil nature. Therefore, he will not, indeed cannot, choose good over evil in the spiritual realm. Uh, Just some further description of this idea now, now, with this comes the thought uh, can man be good on his own I mean that that is a question is there goodness i would I would tell you I believe that there is goodness on the part of man um, I believe that, that that man can be good, that man sometimes stumbles into into goodness um, but uh, and I, I I believe that unsafe people can do good things. Now there are some people who will tell you uh, they don't they don't think so. And yet I, I think the evidence speaks for itself. There is still some aspect that every human being is made in the image of God, uh, and some of the aspects of some of the nature of God are our resident in everybody who has ever believed intellect, sensibility, will those types of things. I believe that 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 uh, unsaved people certainly can do good things. Just as I believe that saved people can do wicked things. Uh, we still live in this flesh. We have not been delivered from it yet. Uh, yet I would say this, there are people who hold out hope that mankind someday will become this grand, this good, this glorious, uh, um, aspect of, of what lives on this earth they, they may not call it creation uh and that mankind will keep getting better and better because man has it within himself to come to the place where we have world peace well what has happened since february is certainly an indicator that uh, we are not moving any closer to that man is not evolving toward toward total goodness um uh, Shootings, Memorial Day weekend. I I don't know if that was this year or previous year. I think it was just this year, Memorial Day weekend. 47 shootings in the city of Chicago, nine fatalities in the city of Chicago alone, which, by the way, has some of the toughest gun laws uh, in the country. uh, And still, all those things happen. Why? Because of the, the total depravity of man. Man's heart is still wicked. I would tell you that my own heart is... It is desperately wicked. I need Christ all the time and that he is my Savior. Total depravity, man cannot believe on his own. He needs God's help in order to believe. Now, the opposite side of total depravity is free will, that man chooses his salvation Uh, Although human nature was seriously affected by the fall, man has not been left in a state of total spiritual helplessness. God graciously enables every sinner to repent and believe, but he does not interfere with man's freedom. Each sinner possesses a free will, and his eternal destiny depends on how he uses it. Man's freedom consists of his ability to choose good over evil in spiritual matters, His will is not enslaved to his sinful nature. uh, And that would be the other side. Now, I I believe that there is both this aspect of, of, yes, we're totally depraved and, and need God's help, but I also believe in free will. There is this inexplicable tension between God's sovereign choice and the free will of man. Both are in the Scriptures, so you cannot... You cannot say, I, I believe one but not the other, and be consistent in what you believe. You, you will believe in both because both are demonstrated uh, as biblical concepts in the Scriptures, and yet uh, in, in the midst of it, in terms of, uh, of the salvific ends, the salvation ends, we need the work of God even to be able to believe, uh, and that would be the position of Calvinism. Now, the next one. Uh, is unconditional election that is uh, another one of the terms uh, unconditional election basically is is uh, is this it doesn't depend there are no conditions that man can meet to uh, enable him to gain salvation god does not choose you based on the condition in fact, someone at this point would say, "Well, well, God knew what you would be like. God knew what you would choose because God foreknew what you would choose. Then He chose you." Uh, I don't think the Scriptures say that uh, at all, and uh, uh, not not even for a moment. Now, let me let me read a little bit more about this uh, unconditional election, God's choice of certain individuals unto salvation. Before the foundation of the world, rested solely in his own sovereign will. His choice of particular sinners was not based on any foreseen response or obedience on their part, such as faith, repentance, etc. On the contrary, God gives faith and repentance to each individual to whom he has selected. These acts are the result, not the cause, of God's choice. In other words, God God isn't responding to something. God is leading something. Right? God is acting, not reacting. Uh, election, therefore, was not determined by or conditioned upon any virtuous quality or act foreseen in man. I mean, this is this is again, I know this is a little bit weightier stuff. We will move on to some some things that are a little bit you know, we're going through some of those tough ocean waters right now, but you got to keep riding the waves to get through them to to continue to enjoy the cruise, if you will. Uh, the other side of this, the Arminian side believes in conditional election, God's choice of certain individuals unto salvation before the foundation of the world was based upon his foreseeing that they would respond to his call. He selected only those whom he knew would of themselves freely believe the gospel. Election, therefore, was determined by or conditioned upon what man would do. The faith which God foresaw and upon which he based his choice was not given to the sinner by God. Uh, It was not created by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, but resulted solely from man's will. That man, uh, that faith comes entirely, the ability to believe comes entirely from, uh, from man. Uh, and the, the Calvinistic view would be no that, that God even need to stimulate God even needed to stimulate the faith to believe. Uh, well I, I do believe in certain aspects of the free will of man. Um, I, I do not believe on uh, in uh, conditional election that God cho- chose you or me based on his knowledge of what we would be like. Uh, I, I don't, I, I don't believe that. I, I believe that God has the sovereign ability to simply choose. Now, again, this is challenging. This is tough. This is harder stuff. It, and really, at uh, at issue here is how we view God's sovereignty and how we view mankind. And I said yesterday that we can approach this with a, a man centered gospel or a Christ centered gospel. Uh, Man-centered would be what's in it for me, and God is fair to me, and God is good to me, or the Christ-centered gospel. The God-centered gospel is uh, God doesn't need us, but God has chosen to love us. God has created us to 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 be to be loved by Him and to love Him in response. But God does not need us now. From a motivational standpoint, we could say you need to be the hands and feet of Jesus and, and all those different things in that way, which, yes, there is true. And, and this is where it comes down to, uh, I, in my estimation, uh, in, in numbers of years of study, that there are tensions in these things, that, that when you learn that the tension is put there by God, that it's a good thing, then, then you can live within that tension. Uh, and I will seek to live within that tension. I, I don't understand, you know uh, how how man uh, has faith, and we could say, well, then that's making God completely responsible for a person's salvation. Yes, that's true. Uh, and we don't like that because the issue at hand is, well, what about people who don't respond? What about people who don't believe? What about people um, again, there's a man-centered view, and there's the God-centered view. And if we take the God-centered view, it's it's God. God sees. God knows uh, the beginning from the end. God knows beyond the beginning and the end. God knows all things, uh, and uh, so God will do what God will do based on on His own purpose and His own will. Now, limited atonement. By this, what is meant, and this is an area where some people that, that have given considerable thought to this do continue to struggle. Limited limit atonement, or or what might be called particular redemption, Christ's redeeming work was intended to save the elect only, and actually secured salvation only for them. His death was a substi- was was a substitutionary endurance of the penalty of sin in the place of certain specified sinners. Now, this is one of the ones that, that I do have, tend to struggle with more. Uh, is there limited atonement or unlimited atonement? I believe that what Christ did, and, and, and in fact, when you get into the, the strict uh, discussions about the partic- uh, peculiarities of words, uh, you can go rather deep with this. Uh, limited atonement, I I look at it and I believe that what Christ did was absolutely sufficient for all people, Uh, sufficient. Uh, Now, the strict Calvinist would say to you, well, okay, but it didn't have to be sufficient for all. It only had to be sufficient for the elect. I take the view because of passages like John 3.16. Uh, in other passages that what Christ did was sufficient for all people who ever lived. However, it will only become effective for the elect. It will only become effective for those who believe. Now, if you believe in election, then, okay, they're elected, so they believe. Uh, if you do not believe in election, then you would say, okay, then it is for those who believe, apart from from, from God electing them into salvation. Uh, either way, there is the necessity of belief. There, it, it, this only takes effect. Atonement, uh, Jesus making recompense for our sins, only takes effect for the person who believes. Now, is there election? Is there not election? What do we do with this? Uh, the bottom line, the, the, the net result is still the same. There's a demonstration of faith on the part of an individual that, that shows the assurance uh, of, of that salvation. Faith still happens. Some would say, well, it is a man-generated faith. Others will say it's a God-generated faith. The question is, do, is there faith? And, and to the question that, that was asked here uh, earlier about you know, praying for someone's salvation, uh, the question I have is: Is there faith in Christ, and is there a hunger? Is there a churning? Is there a learning? And I, I, I personally, I, I often will take exception to the statement "Once saved, always saved." I, I honestly, I struggle with that some, because I would I, I think it's more fitting to say: uh, If you're truly saved, then you're saved, and that's going to hold up uh, into the end and uh, uh, now, there are passages absolutely that give us a sense of uh, of our salvation let me let me share one of those with you to get over to my screens here where I can. Sorry folks. I, I'm trying to navigate things here. Let me see if I can do that. There we go. First um, John chapter chapter five. I mean there are passages that speak to this. Let me show you these passages. Uh, and it's very, very clear. This is down in verse 11. Uh, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I mean, the ability to know, do do you know if you have Christ? Have you trusted Christ? Have, have you received Christ? John one twelve speaks about, for as many as receive him, even to those who believe in his name, he's given them the right to be called children of God. Now, he who has the Son has, has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And then verse 13, he says this, uh, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. Bingo! If you believe in the name of the Son of God, not 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 a casual belief like "Yeah, I believe that," but it's like "I believe that." It's it's I entrust myself to that truth and to that teaching. Wow! This morning is flying right by. You guys might get a full hour of me this morning. Do you know you have the Son? Uh, he who has the Son has life. If you know that you have Jesus, then you know that you have life. Now, let me let me get us back over uh, into this uh, and look at the next term. There's limited atonement or unlimited atonement. Uh, limited, it means it, it's really only for those who who would be elect. And this is an area where I might take somewhat of a departure and say I believe it's absolutely sufficient, that the work of Christ is absolutely sufficient for all people who ever lived, but effective only for those who believe. And then I would go further and say those who believe would be the ones that God has, has called to himself. Uh, so, I mean, in that sense, there's not to the disagreement. Irresistible grace, that is the next that is the next in, in the tulip, and, and this tulip is being looked at. Uh, some, some of the hard-line Calvinists would say, well, then I don't really have to even do evangelism because you know, I, I'm saved, and God will save those whom he will save. And, but yet, the Bible tells us to evangelism. We have to bring these things together. The I, irresistible grace or effective calling. Uh, In addition to the outward general call to salvation, which is made to everyone who hears the gospel, the Holy Spirit extends to the elect a special inward call that inevitably brings them to salvation. The word inevitably uh, is critical here. The external call, which is made to all without distinction, can be and often is rejected, whereas the internal call, which is made only to the elect, cannot be rejected. It always results in conversion by means of this special call. The Spirit irresistibly draws sinners to Christ. But they 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 come to the point where they just no longer can resist it. Now the opposing view to this is that the Holy Spirit can be effectively resisted. Uh, the Holy Spirit Calls inwardly all those who were called outwardly by the special by the gospel invitation. He does all that he can to bring every sinner to salvation, but inasmuch as man is free, he can successfully resist the Spirit's call. The Spirit cannot regenerate the sinner until he believes. Faith, which is man's contribution, precedes and makes possible the new birth. Thus, man's free will limits the spirit in the application of Christ saving uh, saving work. Now, one of the things that, that, that I want to, to talk about here is that there are there, there have been people who have been arguing about these things for uh, not a millennia, but for uh, several centuries now, at least, you know, four or five hundred centuries, they have been arguing back and forth about these things, and uh, uh, I, I think what we need to do is is just encourage our own selves to not be resisting the Spirit and and praying for the Spirit's work and drawing as we pray for people's salvation to pray that the Holy Spirit draw people into salvation. We don't know if we believe in election we don't know who's elect and who's not elect and so our responsibility is to always proclaim the gospel to all and as as is said in the comments the gospel is for us as well i need the gospel preached to me every day i need to hear i need to read i need to see the gospel to be reminded of the work of christ now some would say well it doesn't seem to me that uh, the grace is irresistible there are people who resist Friends, I, I've sat in tears with other people or watched other people sit in tears over the, 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 the spiritual state of their loved ones. And, friends, I will tell you that is entirely appropriate for us to sit in tears over the uh, spiritual state of our loved ones. I, I Now, some would say, well, okay, does that mean that my husband might not be saved? could does that mean my my children might not be saved? It could. Does it mean that uh, my uh, my parents might not be saved? It could. Uh, and so it is up to us to to treat with great uh, diligence these uh, the reality of the Christian life and the things that we say that we believe and and, and not be willy nilly on these things but show great. Uh, great earnestness in our own uh, spirituality, in our own uh, handling of the text of Scripture, in our own prayerfulness, in our own worshipfulness, that we would have a heightened sense of spirituality, a heightened sense of burden that, that we would see people drawn. Now, can we resist the Holy Spirit? Can't we? I mean, I could make the argument in other places in Scripture, later on here in Ephesians, about grieving the Holy Spirit well if we can grieve the Holy Spirit that seems to indicate that we can resist the Holy Spirit that will come up in Romans chapter not Romans in Ephesians chapter 4 where we will read about grieving the spirit and there's another place over in first Thessalonians chapter 5 that speaks about quenching the spirit uh, if 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 we don't have a part in this then what good does it what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, where he says, Be filled with the Spirit. Well, if we can't, if we have no influence, if we have no free will, then, then why even write that? Because we just will be filled with the Spirit. No, we have a human response, a human responsibility. This, again, is the tension that we see, even as we look at, at uh, uh, some of the great thieves, themes like we see here in Calvinism, that, that there is this tension between these two. Uh, And that's where, you know, I I would never call myself a five-pointer, but yet because the Bible teaches election, it says it clearly in in here in Romans chapter 9, I I have to choose to accept it even though I don't understand it. And and to me that uh, if I could understand everything about God and God's ways, he'd be an awfully small God. I, I, I appreciate the fact that it causes a sense of, of wonder wonder in worship for me, the, the, the mysteries, the mysterious aspects of God and the things that I can't wrap my mind around, just God is so sovereign, God is so holy, totally transcendent in the other that it causes me to worship. So uh, so uh, a person asking the question, well, you know, my, my problem is then how do we ourselves even know that we are saved? And I think that is a, I think that's a fair question. Uh, again, I, I've pointed to scriptures here this morning. Do you, can you say, I've got the son? Have you believed in Jesus? Have you received Jesus? I can point to the day. I can tell you just about the hour that, that I, I believe in Jesus. Now I, I realize not everybody has that experience. I realize some people have grown up in a church environment. I realize that, that some people feel like they they fall in and out. I, I have fallen in and out of all of, of varieties of sinful uh, behaviors and patterns in my life, but I never feel like I've fallen out of my salvation. Now, early on, as a believer, when I was like 17 years old, so that's like 40 years ago, uh, I really wondered how can I be a Christian and and still have these sins in my life that I that I was having. And I was reminded that that was the work of the Holy Spirit. There's the conviction of the Holy Spirit uh, convicting me about those things. If if I were not saved, then those things wouldn't even bother me. Uh, But because I am saved, because back then, 40 years ago, because I was saved then, uh, because I had salvation then, the Holy Spirit was was prompting me, chiding me, convicting me about those things and 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 as my spiritual mentor said said to me that is a great indicator that you are in fact a son of God, a child of God secondly, there's this internal witness of the spirit bearing witness with my spirit that I am a child of god those those are the bible's answers first John chapter five verses eleven and twelve john one twelve um Romans chapter eight verse sixteen. Uh, I think where we get confused is that sometimes we think, well, then we we're going to be perfect. No, we're not going to be perfect until until we're taken to glory, whether that's through a rapture or through death. Either way, uh, that that is the only time that we'll be perfect, and. and uh, part, there's a teaching out there that, that teaches that, no, we can be entirely sanctified while we're on earth. I reject that. I, I do, I do think that is an erroneous teaching. I believe we can, we can grow toward that. I do believe that there might be moments in time where we are living uh, in a sinless state, um, from time to time. But I, I do tend to believe more fully that, that we, uh, find ourselves uh, falling into sin. Just because you fall into sin doesn't mean that you fall out of salvation. I can give you a passage on that, too. First John chapter 1, written to Christians, basically saying, look, if you say you don't sin, what are you thinking? I mean, that's a Culbertson paraphrase. We all sin, and we need to acknowledge our sins to God so that, uh, he, uh, so that we can be forgiven and restored in relationship. Uh, I, I could do things that my parents didn't want me to do, but that didn't mean I was no, that they were no longer my parents and I was no longer their son. I was still their son, even though I'm sure, I mean, my parents didn't put much of a moral code in me and I, I had a lot of freedom, way too much freedom. Um, uh, but didn't mean that they were, they still uh, weren't my parents. They still were my parents. Uh, the Holy Spirit, to be drawn to these things, I mean, to me, that that gives me an assurance. Now, for those that wrestle, guess what? If you're wrestling, that might keep you in a greater proximity to Christ. There are those of us that perhaps stand on the election side that we, we can get sloppy in how we live, and and what I want to say, friends, is that we all need to be intensely spiritual. We all need to be intensely interested in in the things of God. I mean, those are indicators to us of of that saved state. Now, I need to hit this last one, uh, the perseverance of the saints, and, and it it kind of ties in rather well with what we're discussing right now. The perseverance of the saints uh, is this. All who are chosen by God, redeemed by Christ, and given faith by the Spirit are eternally saved. They are kept in faith by the power of, uh, of Almighty God and uh, persevere to the end. I think part of it is the idea that we we persevere until the end. Uh, In the end, it comes out. Now, you say, what about a person who at the end of their life has has turned from Christ? As much as it breaks our hearts to think about these things, that person who in the end has turned from Christ, they may not have been saved. It it should grieve our hearts uh, to think about unsafe people it it should grieve our hearts to think about unsafe parents or unsafe children or uns- it should it should push us into prayerfulness uh that for for the work of god it should push us into uh, being burdened for those individuals it, it just it, it simply simply should now um friends i i've led us through looking at, at these these themes today Calvinistic themes, you, you might wonder, so, Jim, where do you land? Uh, there, there are many aspects of these things that, that I am in great agreement with, uh, even though it, it, it is challenging. I, I do believe in the total depravity of man. I, I believe that we are utterly lost apart from Christ uh, and, and that we need his work to draw us to himself. I, I, I don't believe that mankind, uh, as mankind, is getting better and we're not going to apart from Christ. The other thing that will make us better as, in mankind is regener, is the regenerating and transforming work of the Spirit of God in a person's life. Now, you look around, a lot of Christians say, well, I'm disappointed a lot of Christians. Well, there might be a lot of Christians walking around who say that they're Christians who might not actually really truly be Christians because they don't demonstrate a hunger for the Word of God. They do not under, uh, demonstrate a hunger for the righteousness of God. They do not uh, demonstrate... Uh, uh, you know, a desire to worship God. I would throw those things out to people. And I, I think we need to strengthen and fortify the faith to 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 validate the legitimacy of our own salvation in that way or the And we need to challenge brothers and sisters in that way. The perseverance of the saints, this, this last one, basically there, there, it's going to show up in the end. Now, there, the other side of this, and some of you would hold this, uh, those who believe and are truly saved can lose their salvation by fall, by failing to keep up their faith. Arminians have not agreed on this point. Some have held that believers are eternally secure in Christ, that once a sinner is regenerated, he can never be lost. So uh, some, some believe differently in the Arminian camp on this point can you lose your salvation what can you i mean here's a question can you choose to walk away can you choose to say to god i don't want this no mo i'm tired of you god well that could be an indicator that maybe you truly weren't regenerate or you don't know how things end up in the end that that, that maybe at the end of your life you return to christ uh, i mean there there are all these things and and i i don't want us to to end up being totally uh, Consume with these thoughts, other than the fact that that these are grand and glorious truths given to us in the Word of God that we have needed to consider, uh, so that uh, we can have a firm foundation. One person says, "I believe I can lose my salvation if I believe I can lose uh, my salvation due to sin in my life." Then that is saying that I can negate the work of Christ on the cross. That yeah, that that is another person's view. Uh, I, I I might entertain this. I don't believe this, but I might entertain this. If you choose to completely w- turn your back and walk away from God and, and and live a hellishly sinful life all the way to your grave, uh, perhaps your salvation is lost. I don't think that's the case. I, I would rather say that perhaps it wasn't really truly possessed in the first place. This is one of those things that, that friends, we can, we can get into arguments about. Uh, I, I, want, I do not want us to get into arguments about these things. I, I really don't. I, I want us to understand how grand, how glorious, how magnificent uh, God is, how absolutely stellar uh, his ways are beyond our ways, his thoughts beyond our thoughts. Who is known the mind of the Lord that he should be his counselor? Not I. Certainly not I. But because you're listening to this, you're listening most likely because you're chosen by Christ. You're listening to this most likely because you are saved. Or if you are not yet saved and have not yet bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, perhaps you're listening because God is drawing you and wanting you to believe. And by acknowledging Christ as Savior, you gain that salvation. Well, uh, a prayer request here, pray for a lady named Mary walking through the valley to see our Lord Jesus, that she may be at peace, her family, that they may all feel the love of Christ, comfort them at this time. And, and so, Lord, hear our prayer. Hear our prayer for for Mary. Hear, hear our prayer for Gary. Uh, hear our prayer for Wilma, those who are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, that they would know salvation, uh, that, that they would know uh, the, the comfort and the nearness of the Spirit. Uh, and, and, Lord, uh, for for us that are burdened for uh, those that appear to be unsaved to us. Lord, help us to be prayerful. Help us to be witnesses. Help us to be winsome that people would be drawn to Christ. Lord, hear our prayer that we pray today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, I'm going to let you get into your day. Have a great day, everyone. I will see you tomorrow.